0: And welcome to episode 194 of the Savvy Girls podcast. This is Melody, and I am podcasting to you from St. Albert, Alberta, with Savvy Mom. Deborah's kids have daycare plagues, so she is not going to be on this podcast because she is working and taking care of kids, and it's a bit madness for her. But she will be back on the next episode, for sure. On today's episode, we have some knitting talk, we have some pumpkin talk, and we have an interview with the wonderful author Jennifer Harris. So that is something to look forward to. And meanwhile, sit back, don't give up on your holiday knitting yet because it's only December 7th, and enjoy the show.
1: At the end of
0: the day, you just got to say it's alright. Hey savvy mom, how are
2: you today? I'm doing well. How about you? This is our third time starting it, so I know. it's going okay. I told you I have nothing to say. Well, I mean, you do you do have things to
0: say. So let's see, who's here? I am here? Yes, you are. And you're here? yes i am and colette is just a few feet away on her remote control eating stringy cheese beside the cable box under the television
2: uh yeah she kind of has adopted that spot as a place to watch us go about our business and have her naps I think she thinks that when we're watching TV, we're just watching her. I think you're right. So she likes, she likes that. Also, that way
0: she doesn't have to actually see the terrible Hallmark movies that are on TV. She can
2: just... But she does sit on the cable box and stretch her little neck up and peck away at the bottom of the TV when it's on. So She does do that. That's her way of participating in uh, movie night. On a completely unrelated note, your TV is about to die. I'm
0: worried about that. <laughs> yeah. might or might not have anything some shadows to do with her up in the top corner. So, yes, here we are, and Deborah's not with
2: us today. No, she's not. Her little ones are so sick. And it's a work day. And it's a work day. And we were bound and determined to do this. We're staying on schedule. We said we were back. So, um, we as whoever's with you,
0: with me, basically. <laughs> it will be Deborah. It will be Deborah next time. I mean, hopefully, she actually has a lot to say about crafting and things. So she she, she does. does actually. Yeah. A good things. You do too. I do. You do. I have nothing to say. Actually, savvy mom, you do. But I, I will let you talk about your thing, and then I will remind you of your other thing.
2: All right. So once again. It is winter and the weather has turned colder. Overnight, the temperature went down to minus 16 Celsius, with the wind chill bringing it down to minus 20 degrees Celsius. Now, that's equivalent to minus 4 Fahrenheit. So if you were a bird, you would be on a warm cable box pooping also, wouldn't you? I would much prefer to be inside, sitting on a warm cable box, snuggled under our hair, burrowing into our collars, But those poor outside birds, they're just so cold. It really doesn't seem fair. Just, you know, Colette's just sitting there
0: with her millet all over the back of her favorite armchair, (laughs) you know, (laughs) eating millet on her own chair. (laughs) It (laughs) is her chair. It is her chair. It's covered. It's covered in a blanket, but it's her blanket. And yep. whenever she feels like a sip of water, she'll either come and ask for it or she'll fly to the bathroom where she has a water dish. Whereas outside they're pecking through, we do give them water, but they're pecking through the ice. It's just, you know, we see them shivering and three feet away inside. She's just, she's know. living it up.
2: Last year, we actually purchased a uh, heater for our water, our bird bath, the water bowl. So that keeps the water... That keeps the ice away. It keeps the water melted and the birds do appreciate something to drink even in the winter.
0: They do, although they won't go in it with the heater right now. We're dealing with that. But anyway, back to you, back to you. So it's it's equivalent to
2: minus four degrees Fahrenheit. It was. So it's time to bring out all the knitwear that we stowed away over the warmer months. That includes hats and mitts, shawls and scarves. Some of which I received as gifts from my daughters and others from uh, wonderful listeners who participated in our swap petitions. These things are treasured cold weather wear. Melanie gave me a gorgeous alpaca yarn knit scarf, sort of a shawl scarf in a soft is it a tan? It's not gray, is it's it? Gray. It's gray. A soft gray and purple and soft purple and it's oh it's so luxurious I didn't have a chance to wear it much last winter with the pandemic I didn't go out all that much but I'm really enjoying it this year not that I go out all that much this year for anything but groceries and I love it you're making a face about the pattern. Do tell us why. I think I shouldn't get into this yet. I think I should yeah, we put this circle on back hold. around. <laughs> no,
0: I, I, I'm going to talk about it, but let's. I'm not making a face. Let's go on, Mom.
2: So I could list all of the crafty things I didn't do over the past few years. The ideas swirl around in my head. I have a room full of yarn and material, all of which I bought for specific projects. In the 1980s. Some well, there are, are some, some of them are. That is true. But I bought every piece for a specific project. Uh, projects I haven't yet tackled. And then there are the squares I crocheted and knit and never blocked and joined. And I'm afraid those blankets aren't going to get pieced together over this winter you either. Know, this winter hasn't started. You, you you don't have to admit defeat. You could we could bring them. It's still fall. We could bring them down. It, 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 it's, it's December and it's was minus 20 overnight. Yeah, but it's considered fall. Oh, we haven't hit the winter solstice yet. We haven't. Yet. So you don't give up your winter crafting <laughs> before
0: bloody winter mom. Okay, what is something yeah. else craft you've been doing? This is what is something else? We have 5 of them. We have Oh,
2: Pumpkin carving? Pumpkin carving. So we have five pumpkins. We had six. Uh, We We like Halloween. We do. And Melanie was out of town for Halloween. And I wanted to make sure that we had enough pumpkins for when she came back into town.
0: Because just like your child is a way to get a free liver or kidney if you need it, having pumpkins around the house are a way to get free pumpkin seeds if you want them. That's right. It just keeps them fresh like a child. (laughs) isn't that why deborah had two like kidneys for everybody
2: (laughs) oh gee she's not gonna have time to listen to this we're good you guys so last year how many did we have i think we had five and i carved one for halloween we had six we one for halloween one for hanukkah one for my birthday one for new year's and one for your birthday so that was four and then one for passover we had five and then one for getting the vaccine Oh, that's right. We had had six
0: six pumpkins last year too.
2: Okay, so so far this year, I only carved a pumpkin for Hanukkah. Not even for Halloween. Well, you weren't in town to appreciate. I wasn't in town last year either. Plans. I had. That's true. But I had plans to uh, to do one for Halloween, but I didn't. It still leaves a lot of delicious pumpkin seeds. That is true. However, you're going to be going out of town and you're... We'll carve one tomorrow. The point is, you carved a pumpkin for Hanukkah. I put a dreidel in the middle of the pumpkin and then I put the four letters that are on dreidels around the dreidel. Yeah. So that was fun. And Hanukkah is over. Yesterday was the last day. And you were
0: talking about maybe knitting something for the kids. Their neighbor crocheted them, my, our friend and their neighbor crocheted them some scarves, Mom. Yeah, and... You're getting your competition and here.
2: She, so she used the corner-to-corner pattern to create scarves for the girls for their birthdays, or perhaps for Hanukkah. And uh, the pattern included a lovely heart on each end. That was very nice. So you need to start crocheting and knitting. Well, or winter's idea. over. Yeah, I have an idea for a hat for the girls, but um, you described it on the last one, right? Are you, is that the one you're going to go through doing with the little buttons and things? Yeah, I described it on the last last one. That's right. But are you going to do it? We'll see. I mean, you're going to be held publicly accountable now, Mom. I'll do it as much as I'll put all of those squares together. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I just have bring them down and put them on the floor. <laughs> and do them. I have over a hundred squares upstairs that I have crocheted. We could just put them all well, over the house. Why aren't they are all mad. anti-macassars? <laughs> because I don't want the bird to poop all over them. It's acrylic, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> Ow! Ow uh. But
0: <laughs> But seriously, anti-macassars. So you could crochet some of those. Can you read this again? Can you go to the... Totally wasn't reading this off a sheet. sheet, And can you read this again? And then I will add, now we're, I will add
2: my comments to this okay. one. Okay, all right. So Melanie gave me a gorgeous alpaca yarn knit scarf, sort of a scarf shawl in a soft gray and gorgeous soft purple. So, okay,
0: I may have talked about this on the podcast before. It's called the Dauphine shawl. I bought, I was at the my third favorite place in the entire world ever the armley mills museum in leeds but it's in armley technically but but leeds and it's this amazing old mill turned museum and they have it they have had before the pandemic every june they've had a knitting a, gi- a giant knitting fair and it's got all these local producers and i've sung there a few times and they have the best the best cakes in the world my friend maya and Ali are involved with the cakes and they come to the show and it's Tracy, my friend Tracy was one of the organizers too. It was just, it's the best, just if you can get to Leeds in June, go to this show. It's so much fun. I was at the show and I bought two somewhat smallish skeins, I suppose, because I think it used both of them. And this, this is, I think a one skein project. So two somewhat smaller alpaca skeins when I was there and they were selling magazines, I think, for a dollar or two dollars. And I was looking through the magazines, old magazines, and I saw this pattern and it was purple and it was gorgeous. So I bought the magazine, ripped out the page because it was an old magazine and I had a pattern. And that is what this is. What weight yarn did you use? Is it light sport weight? It's basically when you buy alpaca yarn. That's it's. I know it comes in different weights, but generally it comes in sort of a... It's sort of sock weight, but it's not. Anyway. The point is, I was knitting this and I ended up hurting my neck somehow. I, I think I was podcasting when this happened, but I I hurt my neck and I ended up in Prague and I couldn't
2: basically move, probably from hauling around all your heavy suitcases. I, they weren't that
0: heavy, but I was in Paris when I was knitting this and then I was in Prague
2: and then I was in Lisbon and I was just flying all
0: over while I was knitting this. and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's like a scarf. More than a shawl. It's like a chalet slash scarf. So it's nice and long. And you can wear it without having a lot of extra bulk. And it was it's so... so warm. It's so beautiful. I would like to tell people I gave it to Savvy Mom because I love her that much. However... But I actually gave it to you because I honestly thought it would break my heart to see it get pilly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought that if I wasn't here, you could ruin it all you like and it would be okay. I'm not going to ruin I know. it. I know you won't. But also... What if? I just thought that I I couldn't bear to see something that gorgeous get ruined. So anyway, I keep keep reading. Keep reading.
2: I didn't have a chance to wear it much last winter with the pandemic. I didn't go out all that much, but I'm really enjoying it this year. So mom hasn't worn it this year
0: <laughs> at all. What happened was I was looking for a mitten, which I still haven't found in the front cupboard because I, I found it. <laughs> I was looking for a mitten and I found this shawl in the back of a little compartment winter
2: yeah where I keep yeah. all my scarves and so I can grab and go it's- and I thought wow this matches my new coat
0: would mom notice if I took it back and I thought she's obviously never worn it because it's perfect so she, she clearly is enjoying it very much <laughs> I'm um. just gonna steal it back so I did and I had it for a week upstairs and I looked at it and I tried it on and I thought that's, I can't. I gave it to mom. I don't get knitting away a lot to mom, and so I should just. This is wrong. So I casually brought it in the room one day, and mom said, oh, "I love that. That one's mine." I'm oh, fine. You're right. You're right, mom. It is yours. So I thought, I'll knit another one. How hard could it be? Uh-huh. Short memory. Short memory. I guess I. My. I guess I was just on a lot of either painkillers for my neck or or i hadn't i hadn't done a ton i think i had knit one two shawls at that point you made gorgeous shawls anyway i hate this pattern i hate <laughs> it i hate it it's it's not a bad pattern so i mean i'm okay expressing my opinion on it's the pattern it's not that it's
2: written poorly it's written
0: fine it's i suppose i mean it's fine and the end result is deceptively simple let's just say i've knitted these voluptuous lace scarves
2: with simpler patterns than this but they look really complicated
0: well it's they are complicated but let's say that um the repeat in the lace pattern would be say 12 stitches or 16 stitches I haven't counted this one I think it's about 26 and some rows every stitch is different okay give me an example I was going to also often when you knit scarves every second row is just a purl row so you get a break you guys you don't get a break with this one and it is beautiful. It's just... And, and then the whole top part, which I'm not at yet, you start at the bottom, you cast on 354 stitches, so it's not one of those where you start with two,
2: three or yeah. two,
0: and, you know, you think, okay, this isn't so bad. And by the time it gets up to 300, you feel like you've made some progress. You start with 354 stitches, which, if you're watching a crappy Hallmark movie with your mom at the same time and doing a long-tailed cast on, which you misjudge, you have to count more than once! <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, this is the row that I just finished. And I feel like this isn't giving away a pattern or anything. It's just one row. So this is the repeat in a row. And I think you repeat it. I haven't counted because that's just depressing. But a lot. You repeat <laughs> it a lot of times. So this is one of the rows. Purl two, knit one, knit two together, knit three, yarn over, knit one, yarn over, knit three, purl one, knit three, yarn over, knit one, yarn over, knit three, slip, slip, knit, knit one, purl two, cable four in front that's really long that's really long and for me i usually memorize the lace pattern with each line but i can't memorize that by the time you've memorized it you're on to the next row well you're not because it takes (laughs) forever but i don't find it hi bird you're coming to podcast i don't find it fun to knit something where your eyes are glued to the sheet the whole time you just never know what
2: part of the hallmark movie you're going to miss
0: uh, that's right. But also if you look up, you you suddenly you're you're lost because there's so many single knits or single pearls and I've had to put in extra stitch markers because it's easy to, to you know, fudge up a yarn over because when you're doing lace work and every second row is just a pearl row, you have a second to say, Ah, I see that yarn over didn't work, so I'm just gonna quickly add a yarn over, you know, one one line down, and it gives you a chance to sort of double check your lace, whereas here you're doing lace upon lace. I don't like it, and the whole top of the shawl is short rows also. I haven't gotten there, and I don't really remember how painful it was, but again, the pattern's pretty long. It's a lot of knitting for something that looks deceptively simple once you finish. However, I feel like I'm committed now. You have committed to it. I have. I am 10 rows in to this, which... Isn't a lot, but I'm ten rows in and I'm never long tailed casting on that many stitches again.
2: So Well how many stitches would you have cast on to your the other shawls you've made? Three. Oh right. You start off right at the
0: three or twelve or whatever it is. I think it's three and then you knit what is it, eight or ten lines of three, and then you do that thing where you knit around and sort of make it a circle. You knit up the sides. So not a lot. The cast-ons okay. are, are painless. And if you're ready to stab yourself in the eye with a knitting stick before you even finish the cast-on row. Ugh. Yes. Anyway. But so, just think how much you're going to love it once you finish it. It's not going to be as pretty as yours because I'm, I'm making this out of this gorgeous... I don't know if everyone remembers Deborah and the one scarf and how I... Years ago, I think 2009, I, we were at Rhinebeck and I we went by this booth called Times Remembered Alpaca and they had the most buttery scarf in the world. And we each bought a skein of this. And this is, this is that skein. It's, I've had it for a while. And Deborah made me that scarf, and I felted it by accident in the washing machine. Oh, no. I know, I know. Oh, that was, was so sad. And it was, I think it was these little, it wasn't, it wasn't knit one, pearl one. I think it was knit two, pearl two. And and it, it, it ended up having these little boxes because every little while you change it and you ended up with these little boxes throughout the scarf. But it was so boring. She was never going to make that again for me. And I wasn't either. So <laughs> this is this might be my buttery, buttery, buttery the one shawl. But the colors on yours are prettier. This is just gray. It's a nice gray. But yeah, I, I will never, I don't think I'm ever going to make this again ever So that is my holiday knitting and possibly for the next three years. Yeah. Ah. What would you rather be knitting now? Literally anything. A hat. That's the other issue. And we talked about, Deborah and I talked about this last time. I have a lot of hats. Right. I have a lot of hats. I don't have a lot of scarves. I have beautiful lacy shawls, but I'm not going to use those to keep warm or ever because they might get ruined and then it would be sad. And the beads do weigh them down. So I need. I needed a scarf slash shawl.
2: So you found a, a scarf that I made. I did. I think we should save that story for the next time. For the next and time. And then I'll look up the name of the pattern. I think it's a good story,
0: but we should do it okay. next time.
1: He'd take a hug, then he'd hug her. Some-
0: presents. Presents? Presents. It's holiday season and it wouldn't be the holiday without some
2: shameless self-promotion. Right. right. I agree. I can think of some wonderful presents people could purchase. Do they
0: involve my CDs? They all involve
2: your CDs. Because <laughs> she didn't know this was coming, you guys. I just... No,
0: I didn't, she but didn't.
2: I caught on pretty quickly.
0: You did. <laughs> you did. So, Guys, I know with the supply chain shortages and such, it's possibly hard to get presents this holiday season. You know what would make a great present? A CD of knitting music.
2: Well, Melanie has two different CDs of knitting music, one from World War I, and those songs are... Old. Well, they're old, and they, they were written as parlor music. It was for people to stand around the piano while somebody played the music. Lost for decades. Decades. And then came World War II, and people at home, women at home, were encouraged to knit for the soldiers who were away. The difference between the style of music, the first CD was parlor music, the second one is more big band music. Funny songs, poignant songs, beautiful songs, and I know I'm your mother, but Melanie's beautiful voice just carries all the music and they're lovely. So there's knitting music, but there are also other wonderful CDs. They're all on my webpage, basically. Basically, if anyone's
0: looking for a knitting gift or a non a music gift, they're available to buy online. They're also on my webpage. If anyone would like to give a lovely knitting CD, just let me know. I'll be in the States. I can mail them out. I can even sign them. So yes, just give us give us an email at podcast at savvygirls.ca or music at com, and I can hook you up with a knitting CD present. They're very reasonable. Also, I have a book coming out in July, which although I've, I, we've talked about this and we're going to talk about this more, it's about Deanna Durbin, the 1930s movie star, and Judy Garland, the Everyone knows who Judy Garland is, and it's about their rivalry. And I am going to be talking about this a little bit because it's kind of a major it's creative exciting. project. It is. It is. And I'll, you can order it. You can advance order it, although you won't get it till July. But it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Indigo here in Canada. And, um, you know, I can't get you a book before Christmas, but if someone does order a book and, and lets me know that they order it, and show, you know, basically screenshots it and tells me you've ordered it. I can, I will send you a CD. Now.
2: This is a good deal. This is a really good deal. This is a good deal
0: guys, because for the first week of sales is huge for authors. It sort of puts your book. Is it going to be a bestseller? Is it not? And all advanced sales count as first week sales. So, So
2: buy a book for someone. It's hardcover. And I will send you a CD. Now. People might be saying, oh, I don't have a CD player. My car doesn't have a CD Who player. Who has a car? Uh, well. A- other adults, uh, right? When I bought a car four years ago, I was surprised once I got it that it did not have a CD player. Maybe poor people bought CDs, I don't a car. <laughs> it wouldn't come with a CD player. It's true. So. I can, I have
0: digital, I can digitally you send you, it, it's, yes, I can also send you digital albums etc so and that gets there really fast as in immediately exactly yes but also like i said if anyone feels like ordering a book which granted you're not going to get till july but i will i can i will send you a cd also you can even pick which one so that's a thing that could happen in time for the holidays and on that theme, we have a new segment coming up here on the podcast. Next. A new next on our podcast. Next, next yes. we are going to be talking with authors. On several of episodes, we I have I have had conversations and I have conversations set up with authors who are knitters or whose books are about knitting. Because what I didn't realize as, as a published author, about to be published author, is that your work doesn't end when the book is done you have to build an audience you have to be out there promoting your book and this is a great way to get to know some authors you might not know and who are knitters or whose books are about knitting
2: i think that'll be wonderful
0: i agree so so next up on the podcast in about 12 seconds is our (laughs) our first our first interview with an author so enjoy So here I am talking with Jennifer Harris. She's our first author in our new author series.
3: Tell us a bit about yourself. First off, you're a doctor, aren't you? A doctor of science. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm an of. I'm a big on the preposition. So I'm actually a professor at University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, and uh, I'm writing children's literature right now, which is great. I am enjoying it, and it's fantastic and fun, which doesn't mean that I haven't done all kinds of professorial publications, but really, no one reads those. Everyone reads children's books. Now,
0: I write about history, but you write about further back history. I mean, you're talking late 1800s.
3: I mean, in my academic work, I've gone further, further back. You know, I'm back in the 1700s, but that stuff's not suitable for children. When people get hung, it's not really good for a picture book. You don't really have executions in children's picture books. Um, But in this book... (laughs) that i've just had come out it's about uh, a woman in iowa so real life woman who stitched this incredible quilt of the solar system it took her seven years and i mean oh my god we've all had those projects that feel like they take seven years but it actually took her seven years and she did this amazing quilt and it's now hanging in the national museum of american history so it's been preserved but nothing about her really had been preserved. And it's such a neat story. And I I wanted to write about her, but I couldn't figure out how to write about her as an academic. It was because the genre wasn't right. This was the right genre to share the story of this woman. So there's two
0: things there. Number one, here's a really stupid question. When did we all agree the world was round and the solar system and things? I mean, that was before the 1870s, right?
3: Oh, yeah. But you think that we've all
0: agreed that? No, well, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Hopefully, we all everyone here has agreed
3: on this call currently, the two of us? I I have agreed. You have agreed. I would like to believe that everyone in my neighborhood has agreed, but you know, people surprise me. That's a good (laughs) point. But generally in science, I assume at this point, it was a little bit different. So, you know, if you're looking at her quilt for an accurate contemporary representation of the solar system, it's not the most accurate. But then again, if you're looking at a globe from 1970, it also hasn't stood up so well. So, you know, our knowledge changes. I think the interesting thing is that, you know, she wanted to use this quilt to educate people about the solar system in her era. And so it's a really interesting way. We're always talking about marrying science and the arts. Here's this woman who in the 1870s and 1880s was doing this, And wanted to use it to teach people who otherwise wouldn't learn uh, with this incredible visual aid in a medium she was, as a woman in Iowa, very capable of mastering. First, what's the title again? It's called She Stitched the Stars, a Mm -hmm. story of Ellen Harding Baker's solar system quilt. So She Stitched the Stars is kind of the important thing there. And the article, A Story. Because the thing is that nobody really preserved stuff about her. They saved this quilt but the kind of work she was doing, the work of craft and women's work wasn't valued. So no one interviewed her about this quilt. No one preserved her letters. No one preserved her words about it. And so I had to kind of imagine how this quilt unfolded. And so it's told through the, the eyes of her daughters who are watching this happen and participating and learning how to quilt themselves. So You know, we see children actively involved in it. And instead of, you know, all the stuff we didn't know, I had to work with what we did know, which is the seasons change. New babies are born. Well, it's time to do the canning. The garden has to be tended, right? No wonder it took this woman seven years to do this quilt. All of this other stuff was happening. And I think that kind of builds a bit of of tension. But then there's this delight as well when it's finally done. If it was written from the part of the mother, there might be a lot of relief that it was finally done. But in children, they're just so proud of this thing they've created. It's not so much a biography of Ellen Harding Baker was born in 1847. It's it's more like, hey, we're doing this with our mom and it's fun, but it's really lyrical. And yeah. I like it. Well, the other thing I think is really
0: interesting is the idea of legacies, because back then a woman's legacy was her children. But, you know, the man would try to build a name or start a newspaper or do build a house or do man things. And the woman was her legacy was her kids. And so to have made a legacy like this that lives on
3: in Washington, right? That's where the museum is. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, it's part of the under the whole Smithsonian umbrella, because you know, lots of museums under that umbrella. Yeah. And it is interesting too, because she's doing this fantastic work and it's why we remember her, but there's all this unacknowledged labor that she would have done as well. You know, one of the things I did was she goes, she goes to Chicago to look through an actual telescope to see the solar system, which is phenomenal. But what is she doing in Chicago? Well, her husband's taking her on, he has a store and he's taking her on buying trips for the store. And so all the documentation talks about Marion Baker's store, her husband's store. And you think, well, who's in there saying, you know what fabrics we need for next season? Because we're going to need this. And this is going to appeal to this segment of our you know, shoppers at our general store. And these people are going to need this for Christmas. And we've got these settlers coming in. Who's thinking about the domestic goods and stocking the store? And so it didn't make it into the book, although the, there's a picture of the store and the children in it. But it is interesting to think about all the ways in which people try to evacuate women's labor, right, whether it was quilting, whether it was contributing to family businesses, whether it was doing this household stuff, all of this craft and domestic work is just seen as something that women just do organically, it just kind of blossoms out of them because they've got a uterus.
0: But also they did it in very little light. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, daylight's for chores. You would do this by candlelight, I'm assuming, or lantern light, all those tiny stitches. The other thing I think is interesting is you don't see a lot of knitting from back then because knitting was made to be
3: used. Mm -hmm. Was the quilt made to be used or to be displayed? She made it specifically for educational purposes. And, you know, the newspapers reported on this, but they reported on it a bit like she was a talking dog, right? Like, Look at oh. this funny thing this little woman did, right? You know, it's presented in the context of a, a novelty. You know, so-and-so's in, in this town. So-and-so had a two-headed pig born on their farm. And over here, this woman made a quilt of the solar system. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it really was not valued as a kind of scientific or, or pedagogical innovation. Isn't it
0: crazy though, that it's valued now? I mean, thanks to Mm -hmm. your book, even, and thanks to the museum. And we're talking 150 years later. I mean, she would have never imagined that now it's being used as an educational tool, but about history, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and a woman's role. I mean, it's just crazy how you just don't know something when or how something you put out into the world
3: will be valued. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're seeing that a lot with, with quilts because they did get preserved just because of, the size, right? But I think you're right that a lot of the smaller things, that especially things that were used, didn't survive. We have some examples, for instance, of hand-sewn baby's clothes from the 19th century, but it's it's usually because the children died and their parents saved those articles of clothing. And so they were preserved as memories. Everything else was just too precious and it had to be used, these mm-hmm. things.
0: So when we were talking before this, you mentioned how people were crafting during the pandemic. And this is something I hadn't
3: really heard of. So can you get into that a little? So I think the pandemic came at this really weird moment. Everyone had just Marie Kondo their house, right? I mean, we did not because I'm lazy, but you know, all of these people had gotten rid of these projects. They're like, I'm never going to do that. Or I'm, I'm never going to need this. And all of a sudden they're at home and they're going, oh my gosh. I got rid of the puzzles and the board games and I got rid of this craft thing that I was halfway doing. And I got rid of this, you know, thrift stores were talking about being overwhelmed with these kinds of donations as people clean stuff out. And then the pandemic happened. People are are looking for ways to be creative. Uh, I've read that Instagram has gone up, right? Because people are photographing things. We see certain communities on the rise on Instagram as people are getting more interested in craft. I mean, the reason there are wood shortages, certainly there were supply chain issues, but lots of people were just building stuff too, you know, taking the opportunities. And book sales went up, right? Especially children's books, because children were trapped at home. And so it's been kind of interesting to see the ways in which these kinds of creative enterprises have gotten us um, through the pandemic. But you had mentioned, was it doll accounts? Oh, yeah. So this is kind of a weird thing that happened. So I went to this mock acquisitions panel for writers. So when your manuscript goes to a press, an editor looks at it. And if the editor likes that, they take it to an acquisitions meeting. And in that acquisitions meeting, there's going to be marketing and publicity, more editors, people talking about, well, how can we position this? How does this fit with our list. Oh, we already have too many stories about grandparents coming out. But one of the things they looked at was social media and they wanted to know what an author's social media profile was like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I keep my Facebook fairly private and I thought, okay, I, I'll do some stuff on Twitter. But they were talking a lot about Instagram. You know, what? Instagram is, is a lot of fun, but I did not have an Instagram account. I was not posting anything. It's like, I don't want to take pictures of my food. If I'm hungry, I want to eat my food. It'll be cold by the time I get the perfect shot. So what were we going to do to promote my book on Instagram? And I didn't want to just post, you know, keep posting every week, a picture of my book or something associated with my book. And so what we did was we started photographing scenes with my daughter's toys or my son's toys, talking about the book and promoting the book. And what happened was the ones with Barbie dolls were the most popular. And it turns out, so, you know, my daughter wanted a picture of the dolls in ancient Egypt reading my book or a caveman reading my book, or they have all of these fantastic ideas for scenes. And I discovered that there's this whole world of people on Instagram. And I think it's also exploded during the pandemic who are photographing dolls. And these are adult doll collectors. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, it's the perfect thing for creativity You want to take pictures, you like photography, maybe you don't have a crafting skill in a traditional sense, but you take this doll and your doll becomes a fashion influencer or your doll, when you're trapped inside, you live vicariously through your doll who does all this fabulous stuff that you can't do. Like you travel, right? Are you missing travel? Yes. 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 Right? People are like photoshopping their dolls into various countries they'd like to visit. but can't because pandemic. And so it's been real. And some people create soap operas for their dolls. And so it's been really interesting to see just because I'm like a guest in this world and I'm doing it with my children. So we're a bit more, we're less polished than the people whose dolls look like they've spent five hours on hair and makeup. And it's been kind of fun to see how people are finding this outlet for creative expression. Wow. Yeah. And it's instant, right? That's the thing. Learning to knit takes time. Learning to crochet takes time. Learning to quilt takes time. Taking a doll into a park and taking a picture in an autumn scene is instant gratification for creativity. (laughs) It sounds like it's really fun, actually. As I said, it's really interesting to think about. Instagram is so immediate and People used to learn to knit or to quilt in large communities. They learned from their families. My dad learned to quilt from all of the, they were called spinster, you know, spinster great aunts and cousins who lived on the farm. There was this sense of community and you learned and you made your mistakes when you were young. And then when you were older, you had this artistic freedom. Mm -hmm. But in lockdown or even today, you don't have that community to teach you crafts in the same way. You can learn things from YouTube, but it can feel a lot more isolating. I think the social aspect of it is gone, at least for beginners, um, because you're in our culture, you're not allowed to show up at, at the beginning of something and be a disaster, right? You're supposed to show up polished. I think about it like, you know, I bake a cake, right? And I give the icing to my children and they ice the cake. And everyone says to them, oh my gosh, you did this great job icing a cake, right? And it looks terrible. Now, if I ice the cake, it still looks like a seven-year-old did it but no one's going to tell me it looks great, right? Right. You're like, oh, I'm sure it tastes good. Right. I think it's really hard to master a skill in a world where you're being measured against Pinterest and Instagram. Maybe this should be a catchphrase though that we have. If someone's knitting just isn't good or quilting, we'll be like, I'm sure it tastes good. (laughs) I'm sure it tastes good. I'm sure it tastes good. But I think that's the thing that I think that we are kind of missing in... This kind of display of craft is that stage where you get to be awful at something, right? You get to make a bad scarf, and that's just your first scarf, right? But to bring it back to your book, had she been quilting her whole life?
0: Do you think leading up to this amazing, she must have been? Oh yeah,
3: they all would have because they had quilting bees, they had quilt racks. It was a family thing, and this is my my father learned to quilt on the farm from women who would have been born in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. There were just a lot of spinsters in the family for various reasons. Pretty sure one of them was a lesbian and we just didn't talk about it until I went in the 80s. But they this was part of their routine and they taught any interested child. And I think for my father, who was born, my father was born disabled. I think it was their way of just giving him love, right? Is teaching him how to do this skill And spending time with him and and sharing that with him. And I think that for generations, it has been. And we kind of lost that.
0: Well, I think that's really lovely.
3: And I mean, I think that's a good way to end it. It's just people should buy your book. You didn't illustrate it, though, did you? I didn't. Louise Piggott is the illustrator. So people don't know this about children's books, but you generally have no say on the illustrator. The press just says, and this person has been signed to illustrate it. And so they said, we chose Louise Piggott because she does stars beautifully. And so the the children are looking at the stars and seeing what they see in the stars and imagining what children in other parts of the world see in the stars. And they're dreaming of the stars and the constellations and all the gods at night. And so, you know, she does this wonderful work with all of the stars that is really evocative. And I appreciate.
0: And thank you so much for having this conversation. It was far more educational than usual.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, buy your book. You can get it in time for Christmas. It's on it now. The retailers, you know. It's, yes, it's legit. Though you can't stitch for nuts, and you keep saying tuts, and you sideslip when
1: turning a heel, and it comes out in lumps like a thing with the mumps, and a trifle downhearted you feel. Don't you be so upset, for a soldier won't fret if it looks a bit crooked and foolish. Your art, it is warm. So, Gertie, get on with your knitting. Take up your needles and wool. Start once again with a pearl and a plane. Same as they taught you at school. The boys in the trenches are sitting with Tootsies as cool. Savvy
0: mom. Yes, sweetheart. It's time to bring back a word. We haven't done this for a long time. It's but been quite a while. I am here to defend the English language and against
2: what? You're here to defend it and broaden it. And yes,
0: I just feel that with the pandemic, there's going to be all there are all of these words they're going to add to the dictionary that are really words we kind of want to forget. such as i mean i I guess a lot of them already existed already but contact tracing
2: oh or social distancing rather than physical distancing that one always bothered me
0: yeah i mean there's uh, all there are so many words and i just thought if we found a word or as as this podcast goes on several words that exist already we could expand the vocabulary of the world in fun ways
2: yeah. And us, too.
0: I mean, this is a word I know.
2: Would you like to suggest a word?
0: Yes. Today, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else who is listening, we are bringing back the word boulevardier. Use it in a sentence, Bula-
2: Boulevardier? Deer? Boulevardier. Deer. And so it's the word boulevard with I-E-R at the end? Yes, boulevardier. All right.
0: Um... Please use it in a sentence. Explain to the world what it means, mom.
2: All right. um...
0: In the early 20th century, people would dress up and go out in their carriages or later go and stroll down the boulevards of several cities. Paris was one of them. New York Fifth Avenue. it, It is a wider avenue because for this very reason, because it had a lot of horse traffic and also it had a lot of people traffic as as people would stroll down the boulevard dressed in their finest clothes essentially showing off their finery their toggery
2: yes which is another
0: great word and their hats that is part of their toggery i suppose
2: and these people would be called boulevardiers
0: generally it was a term used for a man but you can use it for anyone someone who's dressed in their finest looking high class it is also the word for an alcoholic beverage for a cocktail. Really? Yep, from the nineteen twenties. Do you I know I what's in it? My phone knows what's in it. It is, let's see. It has it has whiskey, sweet vermouth, campari. It was an American-born writer Erskine Gwynn made it up at some point in the early 1930s. So it's a Prohibition era cocktail, but also it is a fine new piece of your vocabulary. So Savvy mom, can you please use this word in a sentence? Okay, savvy mom's making a face.
2: Okay, so mom, how do I look? Do I look ready to go to a party? You look like you're dressed in your finery. Except the word we're bringing back is boulevard dear. No, you're going to take this part out, <laughs> no, right? I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. I thought you wanted me to make up
0: that. No. No, let's try this again. Mom,
2: how do I look this evening? Very comfortable in your uh, pajamas and your sweats. The word we're bringing back is Boulevardier, Mom. Boulevardier, that's a person, not clothes. Yes, we're doing a conversation. Let's try this again. Mom, how do I look this evening? You look great, sweetheart. (laughs) And? Um, okay I don't know you be me and I'll be you (laughs) and just and I'm keeping this in and okay which is fine because I can't read your mind (laughs) there
0: you be me and I'll be you here you're 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 dressing for a party
2: oh I'm dressing for a party am I when I thought you were dressed for a party you told me that no, we I did it wrong. <laughs> you didn't say the word.
0: Uh, here, let's because try this it again. It wasn't appropriate. It is appropriate. You be me and I'll be
2: you. How do I look, Melody? How do I look, Melody? Like a proper boulevardier. Oh, that's what I was supposed to come yes. up with? <laughs> How did I... How was I like to figure that out? I love you, Mom. I love you too. And so the word is Boulevardier and or toggery. It's another great word. Toggery is Toggery, good, Should we good try word. a sentence for that too? Uh, go right ahead. Since I'm not very good hey. at mind reading. Tonight. Hey, Mom, look at all this stuff in my shopping bag. What have you got in there, sweetheart? If you be, you be me. <laughs> Show me your shopping bag.
0: Oh, look.
2: I've been out shopping today. What fine toggery you have in your bag? <laughs> I was supposed to figure that one out, too. I come up. I
1: need to pee. <laughs> well, it's neat and it's sweet. It's a ding-dong treat. Knitting socks for little feet. Just knitting with your knitting all day long. Mm-hmm. You know knitting's friendly and knitting's... Kitten's good for everyone, and that is why we sing this kitten song. With gift one, pearl two, what's a doozy gonna do with a gold? Darn, fall, yarn, and stitch three, drop four. Pitch that kitten out the door right
0: now. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 194 of the Savvy Girls Podcast. If you would like to reach us, we are online at SavvyGirls.ca is our webpage. We're on Twitter, SavvyGirlsPCast. We're on Facebook under Savvy Girls Podcast, and I am all over trying to build up a social media following, because that is what authors do, apparently. So I am Melody G Presents on Facebook, and I am Melanie Presents on Twitter and Instagram, and it's a lot of bird photos, but also some knitting photos. I'm also on TikTok under Mela Mondial, as in Melanie who travels the world, so M-E-L-A m-o-n-d-i-a-l-e so come and check out my tiktok videos i have 31 views of my last one so clearly it's going well anyway next episode we have another author interview deborah will be back and there's gonna be knitting talk imagine i am knitting and deborah will hopefully be knitting and i'm gonna harangue savvy mom into doing some more knitting or crocheting so there we are all right, um, stay warm, stay safe, and tend to your knitting. Four Hit knit.
1: <laughs> the My cardigan would look silly without lime green stripes? Don't shout! I shout! I shout if I want to, and do you know why? Why? Because I hate knitting.